Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 12, as we work our way through that book. We come to a new section, generally noted by commentators that there's a shift that takes place here. There's a symbolic representation uh, that's put before us, and we'll talk about what that symbolism is, what it points to in in a moment. But primarily we see in this chapter God's people being persecuted, but prevailing but the struggle goes on and the next uh, several chapters develop this theme but we start with chapter 12 John is writing if you remember in the last chapter they praised God that his victory was assured acknowledged it was done As we saw in verse 17 of chapter 11, as the 24 elders gave thanks to God, he said, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty. And we read this because we have to know where we're we're coming from when we get to chapter 12. So I'll begin there, and then we'll just read through chapter 12. So they said, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry. And your wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. So the idea is that everything's done. We're just now waiting. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and made reference that reason why it was seen is because the veil has been removed now. So we have access to the very throne of God. And that mercy seat on this atop the Ark of the Covenant, who is Jesus Christ, our propitiation or our mercy seat. And the Ark of his Covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. There were judgments and, and great events to occur after this. Now we come to chapter 12. Now, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. (coughs) Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. (coughs) 
He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Amen. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be with us now. Forgive us our sins, cleanse our hearts, open our understanding, and help us to understand what you're saying to us in this section of Scripture. If it pleases you, Lord, guide us and direct us so we'd understand the fulfillment of these prophecies. And we also pray, Lord God, that you would, by your grace, help us to understand the application and the meaning that it has for us this very day and in the days ahead in our individual and family and church lives, Lord, and in every area of, of life. So help us to understand the application of these truths that are set forth here through these symbols. And we pray, Lord God, you'd be with us. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so we come here to chapter 12. As I say, there's a lot going on. It's kind of a different section of scripture. We have some symbolism. As he says, it starts off, as some of these wonder, well, is this symbolic or physical it's very clear he starts off saying there was a great sign in heaven uh, so he's referring to symbolism here he's talking about something God's given giving him this vision and it represents something behind it and so we have this woman who's very beautiful so it was a great sign uh, was seen in the heaven a woman having been clothed about with the sun we're talking about here glory being shown and the moon was under her feet. Well, the moon, as you know, reflects the sun. It's that reflected glory. Some have pointed out how so many of the Jewish feasts were in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, or we say the Mosaic administration of the covenant, were tied in with the various uh, phases of the moon. If you remember the new moon, and then Passover was to be on the 14th day of the month, which meant that Passover always happened at a, at, during a full moon. Uh, and so the, the moon is under her feet. And upon her head was a literally a, a Stephanos, a victor's crown, a laurel, a garland, as it says, of seven stars. <clears throat> if you remember the opening chapters of Revelation, the seven stars 
uh, are the angels of the churches, I believe. Uh, the lampstands were the churches. And so she is crowned with seven stars. But then we're, we're told that as she carried in her womb, she is crying out, having birth pains and suffering to give birth. So there's more going on here, but she's, she's with child. And then he says there, there was another sign appeared in the heavens. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. Now there's a difference, as I've mentioned before, between a Stephanos, which is a victor's crown. So we get the name Stephen, by the way. Uh, and that means a victor's crown. It was awarded to athletes, but also generals. Uh, when they came back having conquered, they were awarded the laurel of victory. Uh, that's what the woman is is uh, wearing, but this dragon has seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems. That would just be a royal crown, not necessarily earned, because there in history there's been plenty of times when a crown was usurped, it was taken when it shouldn't have been, and clearly, as uh, has been pointed out, the devil doesn't have anything that he didn't steal, okay? But here, <clears throat> he has power. He uh, has seven heads and ten horns. I mean, some of the heads had more than one horn, obviously. And seven diadems on his head. So this dragon's pretty scary looking. He's a huge, a great red dragon, meaning very large. And he has seven heads. He's a, it's a seven-headed dragon. Generally, this is, by commentators, under, understood to refer to earthly rulers. Uh, but we're going to just take it as it is. He's, you know, it's a symbol of this dragon who's very powerful, seven heads. Now, the thing that's interesting about it is there are seven churches in the book of Revelation. There's a lot of sevens that come up in the book. If you want to, you know, get a concordance or if you have software, Bible software, look at how many times the word seven appears in the book of Revelation. And it's not surprising, but it is interesting. So he has seven heads with the idea of completion. And in one sense, kind of a, maybe a counterfeit church. Now, we're told in verse 9 very clearly that this dragon is Satan. But Satan works through his emissaries. Remember, he fights, he and his angels, and that could be referring to the demonic forces, you know, that fell when Satan fell. The Bible seems to hint at that in several places. We know Satan fell. Um, but it could also be a reference, you know, angels, as you know, means messengers. And an angel, like the angels of the churches, who in the opening chapters are angels that are considered to be either angelic beings, heavenly beings, or possibly earthly messengers. Some have said it could be referring to the ministers of the word in those seven churches. And so the angels that accompany um, both Michael and his fighting and the uh, devil and, and his fighting against him, it's not necessarily just spiritual hosts. This could be referring to things going on on the earth, though the battle takes place in heaven. So we're introduced to this terrifying picture. We have this beautiful symbol of a woman clothed in the sun. Uh, the moon is under her feet. Uh, she has 12 stars in her victor's crown on her head. Very beautiful. She's with child, and she's in pain to deliver. Some have said, well, could that be the Virgin Mary? And is this a prophecy about Jesus? No, this takes place after the birth of Christ, okay? Uh, now, some who you know want to venerate Mary beyond what she ought to be venerated, uh, they want to say, oh, that's the Virgin Mary, and see? So you know, uh, we can we go ahead and pray to her. None of that's here. 
Mary worship was something that was introduced in the church later, okay, in the Middle Ages. And John sees a vision here, and I, I don't think he's looking at the mother of Jesus when he sees this, although there obviously is some clear connection. The man-child that's being born, the first thing we think of, well, that's Jesus. He's the man-child that the woman gave birth to. But this, again, is a symbol. And the Bible talks about God's children being born again, uh, and the Jerusalem which is above being the mother of us all. That's in Galatians 4.26. So it's very possible that what we're seeing here is symbolically, and this is what I believe is being taught here, is a picture of the church. It's a picture of the church clothed in the glory of God. The Son of Righteousness is risen with healing in his wings. Christ's glory is manifested among his people. And the church does labor. Paul made reference to that in Galatians uh, 4.26. Well, let's take a look. We're going to continue on in Revelation. But I want to read this part to you so we get this. In the book of Galatians, Paul wrote to them and talked about them having Christ formed, as he says in chapter 4, really at verse 19, he says, My little children, for whom I labor in birth again, until Christ is formed in you. Um, He speaks of that he labored in, in birth for them. It's kind of a parallel to what we're seeing here. The church does indeed labor in the sense of it's difficult to do missions. It's difficult to preach the gospel. It's difficult for the church, not hard. It's God's work, but he does it through us. And as the corporate body of Christ obeys the Great Commission, it requires sacrifice and it's it's painful sometimes and it brings persecution. Paul was referring to this idea, I think, when he says in again Galatians 4.19, my little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. And then he makes reference to um, the fact that we belong to the heavenly Zion, or the heavenly Jerusalem. He says, he's contrasting the uh, Mosaic Covenant with the new administration, and he says that um, Hagar, the, the handmaid uh, that was cast out, so it is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. Because the law can't save. It can point out that you need to be saved, but it doesn't have the ability to save you because it's just telling you what you should do or what you shouldn't do. But then he says in verse 26, but the Jerusalem above is free. And then note what he says, which is the mother of us all. So he's saying we belong to the heavenly Jerusalem, generally understood to mean the church triumphant, uh, but the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're citizens of that new Jerusalem. And in the book of Revelation, at the end, a new Jerusalem comes down from God out of heaven. But he says, which is the mother of us all. And so I think this is what we're looking at here in in Revelation. We're looking at John's vision. This is post the birth of Christ. That is after the birth of Christ. And he's seeing something. And remember, the, sec- the third section, remember, G was the, the things that were, the things that are, which were the seven churches, the things he had seen, the vision of Christ, the seven churches that existed in John's time, and then the things which shall be hereafter. So this vision falls in that third section, the things that will be hereafter. Not after the church, but after the things he's seeing, in other words, in the future. So I think he's looking at 
not history here. He's looking at something that's going to transpire soon, or begin to transpire soon in the in the uh, Roman Empire and in the world, and continue on. So, getting back to the text, his dragon appears. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And some say, what on earth does this mean? This Again, I've, I've mentioned this when I speak to dispensationalists, and they always say, well, you know, you reform people allegorize, but we take the Bible literally. This is the section, chapter 12, when I go to there, and I go, you really believe a great red dragon is going to appear in the sky and sweep a third of the stars physically out of the heavens and throw them on the earth? One, th- one third of all the, the stars that we see, the suns and distant galaxies and uh, the, all of that that we now know is a vast number that we're not able to number. God knows them, calls them all by name. He's going to sweep those physically out of the heavens and throw them on the earth. Really? And that's when they finally will admit, well, no, those are symbols. And I go, thank you. That's what we were trying to get at here. All right. To take a symbolic book any other way than symbolic by symbols is to deny the literal interpretation of it because it tells you in verse 1 of chapter 1 that this book was given as remember he sent and signified it which means to show by signs look up the Greek word and you'll find that's exactly what it means you can get a strong concordance or if you have Bible software and so we have this sign so clearly this is not that this refers to something else. Well, we already know that the stars in the opening chapters were the, the ministers of the word of the angels of the churches. And so this devil brings about an apostasy, I believe, is what's in view here. Uh, and we see this. You know, this began soon after John's time, the struggle. And we find the heresies rocking the churches of Gnosticism. You know, but based, Gnosticism was the New Age movement back in the early church. Uh, the word gnosis means knowledge, and they said, you know, if you go through our rituals and ceremonies, kind of like the Masonic stuff in one sense, you'll attain this secret knowledge that will will impart to you, usually with a fee attached. Uh, but then you'll know the way to salvation. They had just all kinds of weird stuff. Uh, uh, Irenaeus, an early church father in the second century, thoroughly refuted the New Age movement. It's been refuted for 1,900 years. But because most people don't bother to read the church fathers, sadly a lot of ministers don't bother to read history much, uh, all this stuff has come back on us. And Well, how do we answer this? It's already been answered. That's why this stuff wasn't a burden to the church for centuries, because it had been thoroughly done. If you want to read it, I'll loan you the book, all right? Irenaeus, if he's anything, he's thorough, okay? He takes... Gnosticism and takes it apart and shows each component part of it, their philosophy, their fake religion, their bad theology, their twisting of scripture, and deals with each little particle of it and just devastates it and sweeps it off the field. But at this time, you know, that came up, that was in the church for a century or two before. Um, and we've seen it come back on us in our day because of the ignorance in our culture. But a third of the stars were swept and thrown to the earth, which generally, as most commentators understand, that's to mean that apostasy that, or the beginning of it that Paul warned about in the latter days, many will depart from the faith, uh, giving heed to uh, seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. All right. So the devil does this, this dragon, and the dragon now stands before the woman ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. 
Satan is no friend of God's people, and so he wants to destroy this child. Now, we saw this in the actual birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Herod went after him, clearly motivated by Satan. Uh, we see this, I believe, also in reference to those who are born again, who are the children of, of the church, you might say. By the way, we're talking about the true church, not the institutional church. We're talking about God's people as they witness and testify and live their lives. They come in contact with other people. They tell them the gospel. The Holy Spirit works. Those people are saved. That's the true church. The true church is the corporate body of Christ gathered by his word and spirit in local assemblies in obedience to God's word. The institutional, there is an organization in scripture taught clearly, elders and deacons and presbyteries and those types of things. That's taught in the Bible. But when you have a group that claims to be the church, doesn't necessarily mean they are, whether it's Rome or one of the cults or something like that. And so when we speak of the church here being our mother, you know, we're not talking about uh, a self-proclaimed institution. If anything, some of those fall under the heading of the, the whore of Babylon that's described in this book. <clears throat> so he's ready to devour her child. And the word there, devour, is, it's a good word. The Greek means just that. He's you know, like an animal ripping something apart, violent and complete. He's ready to destroy her offspring. Singular. So she bore a male child. Now, in Isaiah 66, we have an interesting prophecy that's given. If you want to turn there, you can, or just follow along as I read. In Isaiah 66, at verses 7 and 8, uh, and, and I believe this is in reference to the early church. And we read in verse 7, Before she was in labor, she gave birth. I think it's talking about Pentecost. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such, a, such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. I think that's what we're looking at here in Revelation, the woman getting ready to give birth. It's the birth of the church brought forth. And some say, well, is the woman a representation of Israel or of the church? And the answer is yes. The dispensationalists try to make this big... And by the way, I'm talking about them a lot because they've taken a lot of these prophecies and taken a crowbar to them. Um, the... Uh, Dispensationalists, you know, want to know. Well, do you 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 believe the church is Israel because they have this whole fantasy about the nation of Israel becoming head of the nations, etc. And they, the Bible's very clear. We're we're the the church. It's not that the church didn't become Israel. Israel was the church that is God's elect among uh, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, and the church then was opened up for the Gentiles to come in. That's why Paul says. You're part of the, the citizenry of God. You're of the commonwealth of Israel. Does God have a plan for the Jewish people? And yeah, there's plenty of elect among them, and they're on the same level ground as every other nation. God has an elect among them, and they're not excluded from the promises of the elect is as the gospel goes forth, and we should pray for them and show them kindness, etc. They do have promises. Some say, well, do they have promises concerning the land? Personally, I think they do. Okay, I think there's some things in Scripture 
uh, where God has promised to give them back their ancestral uh, lands. But the main thing is anybody's going to be saved. There's not a plan B. There's not some special gospel for the Jews after the rapture or something like that. The only way anybody's going to get saved is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ through the preaching of the gospel. And so is the church Israel? Yes, it is. And I say that without apology. It always was. Israel was the church. That is the called out, the ecclesia. Ek means out of, ecclesia from kaleo meaning called. The church is the called out assembly of God's redeemed ones. They were given to Christ in eternity. Uh, his chosen people among the, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there were many other nations that joined themselves to the Hebrew people, the Jewish people. Uh, and then at Pentecost, we see it was opened up to all nations. The Great Commission tells us that. Jesus said, go and preach to all the nations. The word nations is ethnoi. It's translated in many, many places in the Bible as Gentiles. So Jesus said, go and pre go to all the Gentiles and preach the gospel. So that's what we're doing. So here she gave birth to a male child. And then it says, uh, who was to rule all nations with the rod of iron. Well, that's Christ, but he does that through his church. If you remember in Revelation chapter 2, if you've got your Bible open, in Revelation chapter 2, uh, when Christ speaks to his people, he tells them as a promise uh, to the church, I believe it's in Thyatira, he says in verse 26, He who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, Jesus is speaking here to those in the church, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with the rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel, as I also receive from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. <clears throat> at the end, Jesus says at the end of Revelation, he says, I am the morning star. So it's a relationship with Christ. But then he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So there's application to all of us of this. But note here, he's talking about his people ruling with the rod of iron. So I've said, the saints rule the world by their prayers. We're in control of things a lot more than we realize. By that, I don't mean that we're you know in control apart from God. But you know, we think, oh, look what the world is doing. Beloved, pray. Call on God. He takes out kings if he wants to. He raises up new ones. We need to call upon God. And, and the social matters, you might say, that are before us as a nation, we see all this perversion in the month of June being promoted. We see abortion going on where little ones are being butchered. Uh, we see God's name blasphemed in the entertainment media. Uh, Regularly, just we see just a sea of lies and faulted. What's going on? Well, it's clearly, we need to pray. We need to understand Christ is the one that rules the nations with a rod of iron. But part of that is that He does so when we pray. Remember the saints that were under the altar; they cried out to God, "When will You avenge the injustice done to us?" That's not exactly what it says, but that's the idea there. And then the next chapter, judgments are falling because the saints have prayed. God hears our prayers. So he, um, she has a man-child who was to rule all nations with the rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Well, that's clearly a reference to Christ. But also remember in Ephesians 2, it says, We now are co-seated with Christ in heaven. Jesus is legally you. And he's in heaven. Legally, that's what Paul's saying in Ephesians 2, I believe, because of the covenant relationship you have to Christ and he represents you, 
legally, you're in heaven right now. You're already there because Jesus is there. And he's not going to throw you away. You're connected to him. Your position in heaven is just as secure as Jesus' pos uh, position in heaven. All right? And nobody's going to ask Jesus to leave. He's the Son of God. The Father loves him with all, of, all that the Father is. And so you're safe. So Christ is caught up to heaven, but we're seated with him in heaven also. So ultimately, that means whatever the devil throws at us here, as Jesus said, all he can do is kill your body. And sometimes we go, that's, that's actually quite a lot, though, isn't it? <laughs> okay? But if you think about it, it's like your body's going to be raised again. And we get all afraid, and you know, because death is a, is a terrible thing. We, you know, we look at it. It's like once you transition from life to the next life, or this life to the next life, you know you're safe, but it's getting up to the gate can be pretty painful with you know whether disease or accidents or whatever. Nobody looks forward to that. We ask God to help us. He does give His saints grace, precious in the eyes of the Lord, is the death of His saints. So we don't need to be afraid. But I was sharing with a, a friend earlier this week that I think sometimes when we get to glory, I think the saints that are already there, and when we get there, we're going to look back and go, that's what I was afraid of? That was it? That was nothing. Because of Jesus, because he took the sting of death for us. There's no sting of death for us now. We just, as Jesus said, he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life. And shall not come into judgment, but has already passed out of death into life. You have eternal life right now. And as Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so you're you're already there in your, in your covenant head in Jesus, because legally He is you. And so if He's in heaven, that means your place there is secured. If you're trusting in it, and we're talking here to God's people. And the woman then, we're told, as uh, the, the serpent was persecuting her, the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there one, uh, excuse me, 1,260 days. Now, are we talking here three and a half years of 30-day months? Or are we talking a period of time of years in this? It's referred to days. Remember I mentioned... In Ezekiel 4, I believe verse 4, where one day counts as a year, and that's Daniel's prophecy of the 69 weeks falls into the same category. So some have said, well, is this a period of 1,260 days? Uh, it could be, the, you know, of the time where the woman will be in the wilderness, you might say. And some said, well, when did this begin? Some believe during the Roman Empire. Some believe, uh, as I mentioned before, at the... Uh, time of Christ. Some have said, no, actually, it's upon the reestablishment of the Holy Roman Empire. And we can date that one exactly. That was Christmas Day in the year 800. And some have said, well, that puts it pretty much in our time. Some early commentators have said, yeah, this could be around the beginning of the 21st century. We could begin to see things really change. I am so leery of people that predict times and say, oh, it's going to happen right now. So I'm not saying, I'm just saying that there's been people who have said, yeah, it could we could really begin to see things change at about the time of the beginning of the 21st century. That's where we are. History does seem to unfold in 500-year periods, if you look at it. you know, Here we are 500 years ago, the Reformation began. 500 years before that, the Norman invasion and a whole lot of upheaval in Europe. 500 years before that, the collapse of the Roman Empire. Uh, 500 years before that, the coming of Christ. 500 years before that... These are approximate times. 
uh, the return from captivity by the Jews. 500 years before that, the reign of King David. 500 years before that, uh, Abraham. Not quite 500 years before that, you have the flood, etc. So a lot of history does seem to fall out in 500-year periods, but if you're wise, don't be predicting dates, okay? Uh, but things are going to change. You know, history also falls out in periods of days, okay? So tomorrow's going to be different than today, all right? Uh, but this woman is protected. What, what he's saying here is that there's a long period of time she's going to be protected. Same way Elijah was. Remember when the king was trying to get him and he took him to the brook Cherith and God provided for him. Uh, the crows brought him food uh, and he drank from the stream. So whatever's going on, the woman is protected. And that's, that's the point here. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail. Literally, as it says in the margin also, they were not strong enough. The devil's powerful. He's way more powerful than you are, but he's not strong enough to defeat Christ nor those who fight for him. Uh, so the dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. So now we know who this dragon really is. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, literally the authority of his Christ, have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. In other words, God slapped his mouth shut. Okay? You hear that sometimes from my grandmother and mom in reference to me when I was running my mouth as a kid. Uh, would you like your mouth slapped shut? And it's like, no, okay. I think a few times I tried, if I remember right. But the point is, the devil got his mouth slapped shut when it came to accusing God. The devil cannot accuse you. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That is those who have been born again. The devil can't condemn you. He can rail all he wants to. Well, how is it you're going to be able to triumph? You know you you sin against God from time to time. You know, not proud of it. You certainly should be ashamed of it. But we're, we're sinners saved by grace. And notice here, he's been cast down. He's had his mouth slapped shut by God Almighty. He's been defeated. And they overcame him. Who's, who's the they? The church, the people that he was accusing. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Isn't that true? Our testament. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me. You know, when, in like, I think as Luther said, you know, if the devil throws your sins in your face, uh, by the way, you don't need to be talking to the devil, but you can thank God if you have a consciousness of your of sinfulness and you feel like, wow, I'm feeling really condemned. And you think maybe this isn't from God. The devil will throw your sins in your face. As Luther said, you can thank him because he just reminded you that you're saved by Jesus who came to, who died for sinners. So I said, well, I, I qualify for the program. Christ came and died for me. My sins are forgiven. I'm justified by his righteousness being given to me. God won't remember my sins against me. He separated them from me as far as the east is from the west. I mention this a lot because the Bible says it. As far as the east is from the east and west never touch. North and south, you can measure it. There is a north pole, and you can, it's a measured distance from the south pole, whether you're doing the magnetic one or the actual one. East and west, they never touch. Your sins are separated from you as far as the east is from the west. 
Christ is going to come again without sin, that is, without reference to sin, to save and to bring you to Himself. And so they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. You know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And they weren't ashamed to say, I'm saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, my Savior who loves me and died for me. He's the only Savior. And whatever this world throws at me, I might not like it, but I'm not going to be afraid. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It's just a shadow. And praise God. You know, I love that Psalm, Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through. <laughs> okay. You're just passing through it. You're not living there. Okay. Because what's up ahead? Well, he's prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemy. He's anointed my head. So here we see this glorious uh, testimony. The three things. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives. Literally, that's souls, actually. Okay, their own, their own persons. They loved not their lives to the death. Why? Because they know that death is just a temporary condition physically for a Christian. You know, if... if you, you go to bed at night, nobody grieves, says, oh, he's asleep. Oh, no, oh, well, he's going to wake up in the morning. And when we pass from this life, granted, it's sad because, you know, we like each other's company. And, you know, we lose loved ones, we commit them into the Lord's hands, but you know, there's going to be a resurrection. Physical death is a temporary condition for the Christian. How do we know that? Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And he told us he's going to raise us up also when he returns. The Bible's very clear on that. So yes, you will physically die if the Lord tarries. If you're alive when he comes, that won't even happen then. You'll, your body will be changed. So you will be uh, temporarily physically separate, or separated from your physical body. Your spirit and your soul will be with God in heaven. That's why Paul could say to be absent from the body meaning his physical body, is to be present with the Lord. But the Bible is very clear. We're going to be saved body, soul, and spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5. And so uh, they love not their lives to the death because they recognize we don't have to be afraid of this. We wonder, well, how can I be effective for God if I'm dead? Well, beloved, your testimony will live on after you, and God hears your prayers, whether in this earth, and remember the souls under the altar, where they were in heaven and they were still praying. Okay? Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell on the earth. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and to the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. He's heading to the lake of fire, and he knows it. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast out of the earth, he persecuted the woman, that's why I believe we were talking about the church here, who gave birth to the male child, that is the people of God. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, and what that fulfillment is, how that works out, I'm not really certain, all right? Uh, but it's definitely she was given the ability to avoid Satan's uh, attacks. That she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished. Note that God puts her in the wilderness so that she can be nurtured. The church is in a, what would you call it, a non-power position in this world often. We're in the wilderness so we can be nurtured. God makes sure he takes his church... And he has a special care providentially to make sure that his, his church is nurtured for a time and times and half a time. That could be that three and a half years or the 1,260 days referenced earlier. Uh, from the presence of the serpent. So God takes his people even on earth and gives them a break and gives them relief from the persecution and the presence of the enemy. 
So the serpent didn't like that, though. Notice that he's a snake. That's how he's referred to. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood. Now, this could be referred to a lot of things, or it could be a reference to a lot of things. Um, it's probably clearly not a physical flood. But he spews out after her this flood of something. And someone said, well, could this be like just, you know, uh, all the wickedness that's in the world? Yes, it could. It could also have something to do with all the, the literature that's, you know, since the printing press. The printing press, by the way, is not Satan spewing forth water. Uh, but we see how when God gives us good things like books and entertainment, we pollute it and, you know, filthy novels and we have computers, you know, and pornography is now a major, major problem in the church, actually. So we see this this stuff where God gives us blessings that we can use for the, our own growth and nurture and business and all kinds of good things, and we end up using it for wicked purposes. Well, Satan spews forth water. Some believe this just has to do with a flood of the ungodly. Sometimes floods are referenced to when the army of Babylon came over the walls in Jerusalem and other uh, cities in Judea. It was referred to coming in like a flood. And so it could be a reference to those things. But he, he spews forth water out of his mouth that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. The idea was she'd be drowned. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood. Now, if it's reference to ungodly people, they end their lives at the end of their generation. Whatever it is, the earth helped the woman. We see this here, the creation is not against God's people. Uh, the world is not our friend, but the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We live on a good creation that has been corrupted by wicked people. So... Um, it's important to remember that the earth itself, you know, don't confuse the earth and the world. All right. It's OK to plant your garden and to give God thanks and to enjoy the beauty of the creation. That's not being worldly. Worldliness is forgetting God. So the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman. He couldn't get her. <laughs> Satan is mad, and by that I mean crazily so. He's nuts because he can't destroy the church, and he's tried and tried and tried for 20 centuries. The earth, all creation, fights against him. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. So he couldn't get the church in totality, so he just goes after individuals. And they're identified. How do we know who her offspring are? Those who keep the commandments of God. One of those commandments is repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved in your house. Those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ, which we just read in verse 11 is one of the ways they conquer and they're victorious. And so the enemy still fights. The enemy is still the enemy. So quickly here, some application. The church, the true church, is beautiful. This picture that John saw, this is a, it's beautiful. You can be sure this was, he saw in this some, a beautiful, godly picture of, of, of the church as a beautiful woman clothed in the sun, the moon under her feet with a garland of uh, stars on her head. Secondly, it's difficult to bring to the new birth through the Great Commission, God, you know, to bring God's elect to the new birth. As we saw, Paul said he labored in pain to see Christ formed in them. Thirdly, the devil hates Christ and his people and wants to destroy them utterly. So things that are pretty clearly of the devil, immorality, I mentioned pornography, 
you know, watching filthy movies or, you know, reading books that are inappropriate for Christians to be reading, hanging around with people that really are ungodly. I'm not saying you can't have unsaved friends, but if they're being wicked, you don't need to be with them when they're doing it. So we need to recognize that Satan will use things to put a wedge between you and Christ. If he can't destroy you physically, he'll try to destroy you as far as your reputation is concerned. So be wise. Fourthly, there are wars in spiritual realms that we're not aware of. Michael has you know, fought in heaven. And there, there's battles that take place. That's why we need to pray and stay close to the Lord. But fifthly, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. The accuser of the brethren is thrown out of heaven. Like I say, well, when was this fulfilled? When exactly did this happen? Is this going to take place on a Thursday or on a Tuesday? I don't know. But I do know this. The accuser of the brethren is thrown out of heaven. Why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ has prevailed for us. We're saved by Jesus. There's no condemnation. So we need to thank God for that. Remember that when you're discouraged. You belong to Jesus Christ. He's never going to give you up because he's loved you with an everlasting love. Sixth, God always provides for the nurture of the church in peaceful times and in times of persecution. He'll look out for you. You don't need to be afraid of the present or of the future. Seventhly, the enemy is powerful. You know, as one of the Puritans said, I, in comparison to my enemies, am nothing. My enemies, in comparison to my God, are nothing. That's where our strength comes from. The enemy is powerful, but he's not powerful enough to defeat God's gracious purpose of redemption in history and in your life. Paul actually said in, in Romans, sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. Now, the law still speaks to us, but we're not saved or kept saved by our, you know, keeping the law. We're saved because Jesus kept the law for us. We love God. We saw, just read Psalm 119. We love his word. We love the law of God. We want to be covenant keepers. We want to do those things that are pleasing to God. But it's not by your works that you're saved. Eight, the creation itself will always help God's church. The world may be fallen, but the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 26 through 28. This world is corrupt. The earth is the Lord's. So the system of men, yeah, we need to take the gospel with us. We need to speak God's word. We need to be salt and light in it, all right? And we need to recognize there's a lot of corruption and injustice and things like that. The creation itself, the physical creation, it is marred by sin. The principle of death has entered into the creation because it was under Adam. Remember, Adam was put a dominion over all things. And so when he sinned, he brought death upon himself, all of his posterity born by natural generation, that means everybody except Jesus who came by the, of the Spirit being born and conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And everything that was under him. That's why the, the animals suffer and die. That's why we see the principle of death in the creation. But we live in a creation that was originally good and God has still kept that goodness visible in the creation. Paul even says that the invisible things of God can be seen by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead. So the physical creation glorifies God, and we ought to be looking for that ourselves and the beauty of the creation. And also the fact that God helps, the, the earth will help the church. We overcome all our enemies and even Satan himself by the blood of the Lamb and our heart witness and life witness of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. We are called unto victory. That's what this book is about. There's some scary stuff in it. 
But war is scary. Talk to any veterans that have actually been in combat. If they want to talk about the horrors they experience, they will tell you it's something they wish on no one. All right? War is ugly, but victory is sweet. That's why we thank God for those men that have fought in, in wars you know, to help preserve our nation. The things they experience affect them for the rest of their lives often so that we can enjoy life. Well, in God's plan and purpose, there is a war to be fought, but we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And victory is guaranteed because Christ is already victorious. And then 10 and 11, the devil may rage, but his time and power is short. He's going to the lake of fire, and he knows it. We know it, too. And he's powerful, so stay close to Christ. But he's like a mad dog on a chain. If you stay on the path, he can't hurt you. And you might rage, but you belong to Jesus. And then finally, we must trust Christ and look for victory in him. So in the midst of all of our difficulties, whether in life or in death, we belong to the Lord and we can trust him. You know, we have a future. As I said, you know, some people are controlled by their past. You know, things have happened to them or they've done things and it controls their life. Everybody in here has a past. Your past as a Christian, you have it. God can't change your past. He won't change it, but he can change your relationship to it. We are a people who are controlled by our future. That's who you need to be. Knowing what your future is, whether it's this afternoon, tomorrow, the weeks ahead, or eternity. Know your future. Let that be what controls you. Say, wow, I belong to Jesus. All these struggles, they're temporary. If I die, it's only for a little while. Well, I have eternal life. That's going to be glorious when Jesus returns and all those that love him and raise incorruptible are going to be with the Lord. Our hearts will be perfected in glory and in grace. Never going to say a word that doesn't glorify God. And I'm thankful because I've said a lot of stupid, hurtful things in my life that I'm sorry for. Never going to do that again. I'll be sanctified completely. Never going to have a thought in my head that doesn't glorify God and isn't healthy and isn't beautiful. That's what Jesus is doing for us now, but it's going to be perfected then. I'm never going to speak a word never going to, that's bad. Never, I'm always going to have words that are edifying. I'm always going to have thoughts that are glorifying to God, that are wonderful. He's going to expand. I believe we'll see our minds expand so we can receive more of God's revelation of himself and know his love even more and more. And I'm never going to do anything that's not pleasing to God. Praise God that the blood of Jesus Christ has atoned for my misdeeds, sins, iniquities, and transgressions. But there's coming a time when that sanctification will be completed and God will keep you and me in such a way that we're only going to glorify God. And it's not going to be dull. It's going to be finally being who we're supposed to be. It's like, yes, this is who we really are. This is who, who God created us to be. And he's doing that now. We're beginning to be the people we're supposed to be kind of neat so may the lord continue that what do we take away from this chapter jesus christ is victorious and he is lord yeah we have enemies but so what we belong to jesus let's pray father we thank you lord for your word we thank you for this passage of scripture we pray that you would seal it to our hearts help us to remember lord the beauty of your church and of the power of your redemption lord help us to stand against the enemy and not to be afraid even if it means our death, Lord, physically, we thank you that we belong to you. We thank you, Lord God, that your victory is complete. Help us to be 
named and numbered among those who keep your commandments and have the testimony of Jesus Christ evident in our lives by your grace. And this we ask, Father, with the forgiveness of all our sins, in Jesus Christ's name, amen.